Welcome to Between Two Curators, the podcast where two friends and, well, curators discuss art, life, and what, or rather, who inspires them. I'm Jen. And I'm Cliff. And in this episode, we speak with Karen Coleman. Karen is a New York-based film programmer. Um, she's the founder of The Future of Film is Female um, and a director of programming and special projects at Nighthawk Cinema. Welcome, Karen. Welcome, Karen. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> Great. I enjoy talking to people during this strange moment. It's the good old hello over Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know what Zoom was before uh, middle of March. <laughs> Disclosure, neither now did I. Life. And now I feel... <laughs> now it is life. Yes, yeah, yes. a lot of life. Karen, I wonder if you could give us an intro into... Um, I guess maybe a bit how you personally um, have come into these two, primarily two great um, film roles and, and projects, um, because I, I know you studied here in London at Goldsmiths, um, yeah. but you've also, um, you know, you moved out to New York and you've um, really gotten stuck in and really sort of refined and um, made a, a whole new world and initiated a lot of things and taken them forward. Um, if you just fill in some of the background there, that'd be great. Sure. Um, well, it really kind of happened when I was doing my MFA at Goldsmiths, where, where we met. Um, it became pretty clear to me. I had come from this background of being in the commercial gallery world, mm -hmm. and I was really tired of these conversations about what work was. And so I had like a midlife crisis at 30, like shut the gallery down, sold like most of my stuff and got a divorce and moved to London to go to grad school. And, um, and there I, you know, I was surprised at how sort of like, okay, study what you want. And after living in Los Angeles for eight years, it became very clear to me that something that was my hobby was something that was most of interest to me. So it started with really looking at moving images um, kind of like artist films and then this relationship between horror films and contemporary artists. Mm. And, um, we moved to New York. My husband got a job offer. Like we decided to move two weeks after we had extended our visas. <laughs> so we'd gone through that whole process. <laughs> and then we were like, we were like, okay, this is good for two years. So if we don't like being back in the U S we could come back. Um, so move to New no, York. No, you can't. FYI, no, you can't. <laughs> now I, <laughs> I have these dreams now where I'm like, I had a visa once. Can I come back, please? Um, and uh, so when I, I moved here, I was working on a lot of independent stuff and didn't want to take any jobs because I sort of wanted to like work on my writing and sort of figure out what I wanted to do because I did not expect to be in New York. I never wanted to live in New York. And, um, I actually met this woman <laughs> at a bar in Williamsburg. Um, and she was like, I was like, Oh, what do you do? And she said, Oh, I work at Nighthawk cinema. And I was like, what is this place? Why is this, this place is in the neighborhood next to me. I don't know where it is. I'm looking for the new BFI. Cause that's where I lived when I was in London, just at the theater. And she's like, Oh, we've been open for three weeks. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I haven't missed, haven't missed cool. much. Um, and went and met with them and started doing artist film programming in their lobby. And from there, like I've done everything there. I've served there. And then, uh, when I was trying to fund my individual projects and then, um, just really found this wonderful film community in, in New York that 
is really, um, I don't know, it's, it, it, it embraces you and it's inspiring and, and I like it. it kind of feeds off each other. And I feel like the art world can be very closed. Um, and I'm not talking about like commercial Hollywood, but just more like the independent film community. And that really, um, led me to working, uh, at night off two days a week and then three days a week and then four days a week and then a hundred days a week. And, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's been, um, a situation where my boss was like, yeah, you can kind of do whatever you want, which is a rare thing to have in a, in a commercial venture. And so I experimented a lot. Um, I had to get used to being in a space where people come to pay to see what you're doing rather than having this autonomy to kind of go through a gallery space and leave if they don't like it. I'm still, I still can't watch anything that I program with an audience. It's very hard. Um, <laughs> it's, very, it's very hard. And then, um, and then in 2013, I, um, one of the things I said to my boss, we should do is like, we should start a short film festival. And we did. And out of that came a lot of really valued relationships with emerging filmmakers. And, um, after we opened the 2016 festival, the day after the presidential election, mm. um, I realized the value of this community that we've been creating. Cause everybody kind of came in opening night. People actually came and we just felt better after the program and being around each other. And I, and I took some time to really think like, what, what is my role I'm not a creator. Um, how can I help put voices out there that will represent what this change needs to be and to make sure that there is more representation on screen. And from that was born the future of film is female, mm. which um, is taken from the 1970s uh, shirts. The future is film, the future, <laughs> the future is female. And, um, and was just like, I'm going to sell some t-shirts and all that money will just go towards funding um, a female filmmaker in any stage of production of a short film. And it really took off. Um, I wanted to launch it at the short film festival, but I was planning a festival, so I didn't get a chance to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, um, you know, I had, uh, I had a good working relationship with Rajendra Roy at MoMA and he was like, I want you to do something with us. I don't really care what it is. And I was like, well, that's scary. <laughs> um, and I said, well, as you know, I just launched this, this, this new project. And he was like, I love it. And why don't we make it not just one thing, but a sustained program to where we can kind of reevaluate how far, um, you know, gender parity has come or not come. And, um, and that of course gave us like a really great legitimized platform yeah. obviously yeah um and so and so it's just sort of grown from there but it's really just you know my job I guess which is similar to what it was before in the arts is just taking care and fostering these um independent emerging filmmakers that's the one that's the one thread I can go through that's incredible um and I think well, one thing that really resonates, that's really inspiring is what you were saying, oh, you know, I have this hobby and then suddenly it's more than that and you're going and following it and you're following it with, you know, authenticity and purpose, but also a sense of surprise. You're like, oh, okay, now I'm in New York. What am I going to do about it? And I love that sense of serendipity that you brought up, you know, just meeting this woman in a bar and then you're like, well, how do I not know about this? Nighthawks. I mean, the, that is so ludicrous. <laughs> um, and then something so beautiful has blossomed out of it, right? And... 
Um, I was wondering, yeah. you know, for, for our listeners who don't necessarily know what Nighthawk Cinema is, it's an independent cinema. You've got two locations, right, in, 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 in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and two different places. Could you tell us a little bit more about what makes it, you know, stand out? Maybe over from the architecture to the food to the drink to the programming. It's such a rich sure. place, right? Community building. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have two locations. The Williamsburg location, which is the one that... Um, I've basically lived at, uh, <laughs> is, um, is a three screen theater, um, and our new location in Prospect Park, which is, um, essentially a restoration, uh, <laughs> essentially it's a major restoration of one of the oldest, um, cinemas in New York. Wow. It was called the Sanders in the twenties. And it's had these many lives. Um, the last one was the pavilion, which was well known for bed bugs and torn screens and being like rats and like perfect so (laughs) so so we we improved that a little bit um but yeah so the Williamsburg location uh turned nine in um in June and we're an (laughs) end seems like a hundred years but um we uh it's an independent theater um but it's not a not-for-profit so we're in a weird sort of Base because a lot of the cinemas that kind of do what we do in New York are are nonprofit. Um, Metrograph and Alamo are not. Um, so, so the approach has really been one of just growth and evolving. In and I'll speak mostly about Williamsburg because I feel like honestly we got Prospect Park open. We were open for about a year. It takes about two two and a half years to kind of like find that who your audience is, what do you need to do for it to start like working? And then this kind of just shut us down. But, you know, in Williamsburg, it has been one where we've married feature films, like new releases um, with repertory programming and um, events and sort of everything you could ever sort of want. And then you're able to have, um, <laughs> and food while you do it. The booze to me is the most important part. <laughs> we're like we're like madmen there, you know. It's like you never do a Q and A without like your Manhattan, perfect, um, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, and when when it opened, there was a law in New York. Um, it was an old prohibition law that you could not have alcohol in a movie oh, theater. Really? Um, yeah, and it, and it was um, and so my boss Matthew Vera worked with. Um, like lobbied to have it changed with his, his lawyer and the, and the city. And they did. Um, so that kind of broke the door open in New York to, um, to have, you know, this kind of new dine in experience that other States, you know, were able to already have. Um, but it's really nice and it's fun. And, you know, we, you know, sometimes there is a bit of a disconnect between like the front of house operations and the, the programming. Cause what we do is so different. Um, but we do try and collaborate on things as much as, as possible. And when we do, and it works out well, that's, that's when it's yeah. the most fun. Fantastic. I want to go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> one day, but I miss, one day. I, I miss having, I miss watching a movie in a movie theater with, um, with some wine or some whiskey. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. Sometimes you need it when you're watching a movie. It's so stressful. Absolutely. Well, the, we're going to come to those kinds of films in a sec. <laughs> um, but in, in that um, lovely intro, um, bio intro, you, you were talking about these sort of opportunities, both at Nighthawk, but also MoMA, where, you know, essentially a um, couple, couple people gave you a kind of carte blanche and were like, just do something interesting. And 
And I wonder if you could sort of um, unpack for us a little bit uh, the sort of the focus of what you've been like working on with with independent filmmakers and um, try and uh, give us a little bit of uh, uh, background about, you know, what it is that you're you're seeing as your own project and contribution to this wide world of film. (laughs) Well, I will credit um, Raj at MoMA for this um, way to see what needs to change, the fo- that focus that needs to change in film, and that, you know, MoMA should not be um, maybe like a monolith. It should be a, a space where um, it's not just looking and contextualizing the past, but in its, you know, where it was supposed to be of like, championing the now. Mm. And I think that that's like, overall, that's mainly my focus is um, championing and supporting and fostering works um, that I think are important now, whether they're feature films or they are short films. Um, I love short films and I love short films that just exist as a short film, not like as a project for a feature. Um, I think it's a really hard medium. Um, But my focus is really that. And my focus is to, I often get, um, concerned about, I mean, you know, the, it's the future of film is female, but I'm also just concerned about like the future of film and I'll speak about pre pandemic is just, there's so much incredible work being made mm. and the goal at MoMA uh, and at Nighthawk and wherever else I do anything is to make sure that it reaches the widest audience as possible. Cause I think that there are a lot of really exciting filmmakers out there and I don't want in 20, 30 years us to look back and go, well, who are these people? You know, what what will our repertory screenings be like in 30 years? Are they going to just still be like E.T.? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> and I think that, you know, these filmmakers need, um, you know, opportunities to do bigger, better projects. And, I mean, they're really talented and and, and diverse. And you, you're starting to see it, like Chloe Zhao yeah. doing, like, a, a Marvel movie. And, you know, Nia DaCosta is doing, like... And so this kind of... In, inclusion is happening a little bit. Um, but that is it. It's like, if I see something really good, I want to be able to talk about it. I want to share it. I want people to see it. And then I want people to come back to the next movie that this person makes. And that's like the, the, the point of the MoMA screening are to show feature films with short films mm. of works that have been made in the past year. When we started, when we did the first one, it was the past year or two. Cause we had some more flexibility of like first or second features. Um, so that women would be, you'd be able to see these films directed by women, um, and not go, Oh, well, I missed that. We, you know, women don't have the same opportunities to fail or succeed as male filmmakers do in the industry. So this is just like a reminder of, Hey, remember this, like, Mm -hmm. remember to check out this film. Remember to do that. I mean, we did a previous screening of Nia DaCosta's little woods and now she's doing Candyman and sleeping with the enemy and a Marvel movie. And it's like, you know, you have to kind of spot that and foster it. Um, and it's not just someone like moments, distributors and producers and and programmers as well. But, um, but then, and then also talking, you know, doing our Q and A's with the feature filmmaker and short filmmaker at the same time as a way to kind of level that playing field. And um, that's kind of the focus with that. I mean, we've done screenings where a film has been in, in cinemas on Amazon prime and there's a theater of 205 people and no one's seen it. Yeah. And you go, 
And it's not just like, you know, the old MoMA people who, you know, who are in the audience <laughs> and haven't seen it. You know, they're like, what is this wacky film? But, you know, it's, um, it's young people and it's, it's really, it, it, you know, it, it, it indicates that there is a lot of work to do to get these out of just art house cinemas, but into a general pub- public space. Um, yeah, there's two things that really interested, I mean, there's multiple things that interested me. There's two things that really resonated, you know, in the way I've been thinking about curation. And like, number one is for things not to be a flash in the pan, right? So you're not just showing an, a filmmaker once, it's several introductions, so that there is a continuity, right? Um, and there isn't that just, oh, you missed it, bye bye yeah. so long. Um, and then the other element that I just wanted to pick <laughs> up on was, you know, what you were saying about having these in conversations and these different touch points about where you could experience it. And it's a non UFO effect, right? You've not just plonked something into an audience to discover, you know, there are actual points of contact and exchange and communication. And I think that's just, it's just so important and it's incredibly sensitive. Um, and so important for like keeping, you know, these films circulating and these filmmakers. And as you say, there's just so much incredible work being done. Um, and I had actually, I wanted to slightly steer the conversation and ask you about a genre that you're really into. And then I have to say, I, for me, E.T. is a horror film. Like I, I know nothing <laughs> about horror. I know nothing about horror films. <laughs> E.T. is a a horror film. It's like one of the saddest (laughs) movies ever made. I say this. I said E.T. It's the first movie I remember watching in a movie theater. And I remember walking to the parking lot with my mom saying, I'm never going to watch that movie again. That was me. It made me so sad. I was like, never again. (laughs) (laughs) It's just horror in a different way. (laughs) Uh, I've actually got, I've got like, like stomach pain laughter because like, yeah, anyway, it really, it really, really brings up some memories. Um, But (laughs) um, if you can like, we can just unpack the, the genre a little bit and like, I don't know, like, how, how has this evolved? How have, you know, the role of women in these horror films also evolved? I mean, I would love to hear more. I know that Clifford too and others, if you could, yes, please tell us. Sure. sure. Well, it's interesting because when I was a, when I was a goldsmith, so that was over 10 years ago, my thesis on what I was researching was that, you know, basically there haven't been any good horror films made since the late 90s Mm. um and artists are kind of picking up this tradition of looking at the world through this horrific lens and literally pulling from horror films from the 60s 70s and 80s and a little bit of the 90s to create work so i was basically saying horror films are dead (laughs) like just enjoy what they were um and that's that um but you know in the past six years, it ha- it's really been very exciting. And I've always kind of loved horror films just on a f- aesthetic and filmmaking level is that they're very down and dirty mm. and they do a lot with very little. And usually, you know, some of the filmmakers I like most that work in the genre are super creative with what they have and they create these really amazing visual worlds I'm not so much into like people getting stabbed in the head, although that's fun to watch every now and then, you know? Um, I mean, it's kind of nice, <laughs> but, but really like, you know, since 2014 is kind of this interesting marker of when um, a girl walks home alone at night and um, the Babadook came out and 
since then, like independent horror films have been kind of abundant Mm -hmm. and really great. And you've been seeing all these wonderful festivals pop up, uh, Fantastic Fest, Overlook Fest, Shudder is um, this incredible horror streaming platform that, you know, I know Cliff, it's like curates, uh, they curate (laughs) their online content, but they really do take care in what they are putting out there. It's not like, it's not like Netflix has like, you know, uh, you know, here's all these disparate gross things and we'll put it together. It's, it's, um, it's really lovely. Um, but yeah, I just been seeing like a lot of filmmakers doing it and we've been having, we, you know, conversations. Um, cause I get surprised at how many people like horror films sometimes, especially like, um, like young women. Oh yeah. Um, and I've, and I've been doing, um, you know, horror, two horror panels at the Athena Film Festival, kind of trying to start this conversation of what is it? And I guess that's always been like my interest in horror. And I have no, I don't have an answer for it. Like, what is it? Like, what is it about it? Why does it work? Um, and we just did a, a horror panel with um, filmmakers and programmers and, um, and a writer just trying to look at what it means to have women right now making these horror films Mm. and in a very caring way. You know, it's one thing when you see a lot of horror films that do center on women. um, But what does it mean when a woman's directing something about motherhood? It means something different. Um, And, um, you know, I was, I had a conversation with Romola Garay who just directed um, Amulet. She's an actress and she did Amulet and it really has this mother. It's like, a mothering moment. It turns into like a Cronenberg body horror thing. And, um, she's like, cause there's nothing more horrific than giving birth. <laughs> like, like it's messy. It's it. Like it's your body, your body's doing weird things. And, um, I think it's an interesting perspective for, for women to explore that and not to have like this final girl, but really have like characters of, of substance going through something and not at the end just being like, Hey, I'm alive. But you know, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Super, super interesting um, trajectory there in the whole arc of how people relate to horror and what what horror means to people, like emotionally and obviously visually. Um, yeah. And I was really interested in that sort of arc you drew there, um, where horror horror like kind of died in the nineties, you reckon, <laughs> um, but but may be making a recent <laughs> comeback and. I wonder if you could say more about about that. Was it like visual effects that killed it? Or was it like sarcasm and like all these spoofs about horror films? Or wh- <laughs> I don't how, know. How does that work? You know, I lo- I look back now and I'm like, well, there were some good there were some good good horror movies that came out in like 2009, like Jennifer's Body and We Are What We oh. Are, um, and uh, God, there's something another one. Um, Anyway, so there, there were these moments I look back and I'm like, ah, there's, there's all right. But, you know, my, my thinking was that, you know, there was, there was horror and then there was this period of postmodern mm-hmm. horror. Mm-hmm. And then Wes Craven did Scream and it kind of like used all those tropes and kind of made the meta, meta, meta and blew it all up. And then it was like, well, where does it go? I think horror films got a bit commercial. So you have like all the final destinations. Which, looking back, those are really fun to oh, watch. Oh, yeah, one, um, one through but 14. Not- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason came back to fight Freddy. You know, all these kind of weird things. And, but, you know, then you had, like, really interesting stuff like Cloverfield, which is very scary. And, you know, I, I guess I assumed that there would be really, really, like, hard-to-deal-with works after 9-11 and, um, and with 
Bush in the White House. Um, but apparently it takes Trump in the White House to make oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's like, um, but I don't know. I, I, you know, I, when I look at what's happening now in the world and, and you see like these films coming out in 2014, it's like the sign of a good artist um, is that they've picked up on these things early and have been part of this wave that now it's just like par- part of it. It's not necessarily as much of a reaction to it. Mm. Like all these movies are coming out now that we were joking like, oh, that's a great quarantine movie. Mm. But like these, like She Dies Tomorrow, there's all this contagious anxiety and isolation and, and how would you deal with death and all this stuff that, you know, obviously Amy Simons did not know that COVID was going to happen. <laughs> but there there are these like, things in the air and moments that they pick up. So I think it's part of a wave that's happening of like a reckoning of, of, of gender and race and all of this stuff that, that people are looking at things that film in general is sort of um, kind of a part of. Um. Yeah. I was, I was wondering if we could actually touch on something pre horror film chat pre, you know, and it was, I, I really want to unpack a little bit more what the what the incredible work that you've been doing and what you've been advocating for and helping make happen through the future of film is female right um maybe you yeah. could touch on like maybe some of the the, the projects that you've helped fund right because it's been like you've been helping yeah. pr- production and then post production as well and is i, I kind yeah. of think like this like this is fairy godmother <laughs> you know collective fairy godmothers <laughs> coming together in order to make things happen um yeah if you could tell us yeah. a bit more well it's Sure. It's really crystallized um, since the shutdown. So Nighthawk mm. closed on the 13th of March, mm. full stop. Um, we started in February 2018. We've been able to give funds to over 20 projects. Wow. Which is a lot. Um, just through like selling t-shirts and, you know, you know, the MoMA screenings, all that sort of stuff. We've been able to help from that. And then um, two post-production companies who are our sponsors for the Shorts Festival Nice Shoes and Herd City have graciously um, offered to give post-production services, um, which are about like a t- sixteen to twenty thousand dollars sort of. That's service, incredible. Which is not anything that I can sort of afford. You know, like my grants are between five hundred and fifteen hundred dollars. Um, so that really helps, and you know that the production of works and helping assisting in that is a starting point. But the the other part of that, and it's the other part that a lot of funding organizations don't do is, is what, what happens next? So you've made Mm -hmm. the film. So that, then what happens? And so we're really invested in an exhibition. And that is a privilege that I have as a, as a film program that works at a cinema, does stuff at MoMA is like, but it has to be shown. It has to be this complete, complete circle. Mm -hmm. And so my focus is always on, I want to help fund these films and I want to, I want to, you know, support them in the, in the beginning, but I also want to support them in the end and, um, you know, done talks and, and have really been thinking a lot about how exhibitors, so cinemas and distributors are really this like second half of this equation of, um, there being more successful women filmmakers out there. And by successful, I mean, they can make more than one film or two films, um, so that's really integral to what it is that we do. So we help fund and then we help show. Um, and then what I was saying is, you know, after Nighthawk closed for, after the shutdown, I had some space to kind of 
think about like, okay, let's, let's legit legitimize the future of film is female. Let's make it finally make it a nonprofit. Let's get our board together. Let's start, you know, kind of working on funding. And, um, it really became obvious to me. My, one of, one of my friends was like, you know, you do all this stuff, but what this really is, is a community building project. Mm-hmm. You're really, com- you're really building a community, um, uh, that's part of a network of other organizations that are working in independent film, but also directly with your filmmakers. So we were doing like weekly um email lists and they started writers groups together and you know if they were having a problem you know i, I we, was, we were just in constant dialogue with each other we set up bi-weekly um zoom chats to kind of check in where we had conversations or everything about okay how can we fundraise to get walkie-talkies for protesters so they don't get kettled uh, and you know how do I um, diversify my um, production team moving forward there's a lot of like conversations and stuff happening and and it's it's been a home for me and it's been a home for them to kind of just be like okay we're part of this like little family I know that's toxic for businesses to say you're a family but like you know we're <laughs> you know it's like you get a lot of work for free by that um, but you know we've become this kind of kind of unit. Um, and I feel very attuned to what they're going through. And then also what, you know, my fellow programmers and people doing similar things, it's just, it's really about the time is now to kind of come together. So we launched the streaming part in April as a way to just highlight our filmmakers works, whether it was works that we had funded or previous works. Cause a lot of the works we funded are still in production. Um, and <laughs> Sorry, I'm hearing my husband, like, talk really loudly. (laughs) Uh, He's, like, making some voice reading to my son. That just totally distracted me. Um, And it's become kind of like, you know, the the outlet that we have right now um, to continue to, to support the voices of women in film when you can't go into a theater. And so that's led into a lot of Q and A's panel discussions, talks, um, theatrical screenings of new films, just all of this as a way to show like, this is what we still think is important during this time. Um, and then, and then in the middle of everything being shut down, we're also just getting our shit together and becoming like a real, real organization. (laughs) Um, with the plan that once everything opens up, like the exhibition component will be both virtual and, and in person. Mm. Cause it's nice to, be able to connect with people all over the country and, and world. Um, you know, there's not this like, Oh, well, if I were in New York, I'd go to that. <laughs> it's, it's there. It's there for you. Yeah. Um, but some of the shorts we funded, you know, um, you know, they've gone to, to Sundance, the, the, the first, um, the first winner of the shorts festival in 2013, Eleanor Wilson. She's really kind of the, the impetus of this whole thing, my relationship with her, she just has her first feature film coming out. It premiered at Sundance. Um, and I was hoping to do a screening with her in person, but now we're going to do it virtually. Um, so, you know, these were one of those shorts we funded crystal Caiz's the gardeners is not going to be a short film anymore. It's going to be a feature documentary. Um, and it's just been really nice to be involved with these people as they do exciting new things and then still want us to be a part of it. <laughs> Yeah, all that work is really amazing. I mean, congratulations on on. on yeah, that. seriously. Really, really Thanks. Impressive. I've been burying myself. I've been burying myself in work. It's like that, and my son have been like how I've been sort of coping with everything. But it's just, what else are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> um, with uh, with some of the things you're mentioning there about um, sort of life under lockdown and various restrictions and, and the way things have changed, have you? Um, have you been tracking, uh, locating a new 
urgency arising that wasn't there before with um, COVID in terms of um, what feels most important to channel that energy in, into filmmakers, like whether it's the production side or exhibiting side, or is it something completely unexpected? Um, but that seems now important to continue the momentum and continue building and, and bringing people together over. Yeah, well, I think it's a combination of two things. I mean, I, th- I think on the one hand, you know, we you have you have COVID. On the other ha- hand, you have this huge moment of um, the call for racial justice in the United States. Yeah. And I feel like the COVID is more of, for filmmakers, is more of a logistical thing of like, okay, how how are we going to get back into production? Um, what is this going to look like? Oh, shit. I'm, I just made this film. It's not going to get into festivals. So how are we pivoting to do things online and make those things special? That kind of stuff. I think what I'm seeing the most impact in with the filmmakers I'm working with is how to deal with um, their production in terms of diversity, who, who we work with, who we don't work with, what do we need, um, you know, to make sure that, we are part of the solution and not part of the problem. Um, and, you know, that's taken, you know, for me, a, a look at what we've done in the past and ensuring that, you know, we have, I guess it's, a, you know, women of color in, in involved. And that's has always been important. And now it's time for that to be like very vocally important. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the, one of the bigger reckonings for cinemas. I think COVID in, in the film industry, um, it's totally smashed it. <laughs> And I think mm, that yeah. um, I think that there are a lot of people in, in the art house film world, in particular, who are so stuck in this mindset of how things were that I don't think they've really realized it's like all burned down. And we have this really unique opportunity to create something new and create a more um, equal film industry across across the board um and that independent films matter and and you know people were freaking out because like mulan is coming out on disney plus and it's gonna cost 30 dollars and all this stuff and i was like it's disney <laughs> like, like they they're not here to support you as a theater you you, you know it, it, so i think that there's I think that there's some stuff that's going to have to like really happen. And, and, and I noticed this before COVID, I went to the art house convergence and I could see very clearly the, dis- the divide between the older generation and the younger generation. And mm-hmm. I could tell this because there were there one day there were two panels at the same time. One was about the paramount decree and that kind of deals with, um, how long something can be in a theater, where it can be shown, you know, like, can you, can you own, can a, can a distributor own a bunch of movie chains and then just plop their films in there? It's this old kind of thing. And then there was another film about um, a conversation about race in your institutions and the people who were in one and the other, I could see, you know, where they're, it was like a very old school worry. And so instead of thinking about, okay, well, how can we kind of deal with that in our cinemas? It, it, it it was like a freak out and then everyone's freaking out on the racial conversation because you're realizing there's a really big problem here. Um, and I could see that. And I think it's, I do think it's generational. Um, so my hope is that a lot of the people who are younger running independent cinemas and are in the distribution companies kind of recognize that and you see this opportunity to like push other things forward. Thank you. That's really interesting. Um, and I had, I, I, I wanted to, 
I just wanted to quickly ask you more questions because you're talking about all these virtual gatherings and you doing these online, you know, online screenings and so on and so forth. And how have you found that? And are there some things that even going forward, even if, you know, some cinemas do reopen and so on and so forth, will be, will there be certain like digital tendencies that you've now perhaps developed that you will keep? To answer your second question, I think so. And I hope so. Um, Because it really... um, allows greater access to filmmakers too. Um, you know, you can talk to a filmmaker in Australia and the whole world can watch it. And so I think that there's a value to having both of that. And even if you're doing things in the cinema live to stream them out and have that yeah. be part of a larger conversation, people are more comfortable with that now. Like, you know, our tech tech director and projectionist, if I wanted to do a Skype Q and a, we're like, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> like the logistics. And I'm like, you know, whatever. Um, but to answer your first part of your question, um, which I'm now totally blanking on, <laughs> what was the first part? It was different changes to... S- oh, how stream. do I... Yeah. yeah um, you know, the first one I, I did was with um, this group called Slumber Party, and they put together a bunch of women programmers to talk to Eliza Hitman. And I cried uh, when I asked the question because I was so overwhelmed that I was back in a space where I was talking to a filmmaker uh, with other people who liked film <laughs> like about a month after we had closed. I was, I, I didn't anticipate it. And then I like started asking her a question. I was just like, <gasps> so emotional. Uh, but it's, it's kind of nice because it's a very forgiving platform. People are still figuring it out. Like you drop out, you come back in. It's really nice um, in that sense. And it kind of becomes like playful. Um, so we've done kind of a variety of things, but I, I love it. I, you know, I, um, it's kind of fun to like sit in your room with, you know, people to talk about their work and, and, and to, to, to know that audiences are still very much engaged, um, enough to like not only RSVP to a Zoom event, but then like still attend it, you know, (laughs) because, you know, it can be a little over oversaturated. Um, and I think that what I found is sometimes the more people and voices I have in a conversation, the better it is. Um, so like panels or I've done Q and A's where I've moderated the bulk of the discussion, but then I've invited two people to come in and ask some more questions just to kind of give it some layers. Cause it, it's weird. Cause you can't read an audience. Um, and some people, when they're listening to you, you can't tell like if they're into what you're saying or not, Like there's no <laughs> vibes felt, you know, like I like that when I'm in a theater and I'm sitting in front of people and like, you can feel the vibe, um, yeah. at Nighthawk, I always say it's like, it's like a punk club, like you're in the pit, you know? And so you can really like vibe off of people you can at MoMA. And it took me a while to figure that it's just like this black hole. And <laughs> I feel like I was just like, so I had to like kind of like ask the audience questions like, Oh, did you grow up in New York in the nineties to see if they just cared at all. And that's kind of the thing with virtual events is like, you, you don't know if people care, but they're there and it's easy to log off. Um, so I'm, I'm now under the assumption that they, they, they do care, but, um, but yeah, they're really fun. And, mm. um, and they're weird and they're fun and um I've had to become like a TV presenter, you know, like hi and welcome. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm not and, and really how's good the at background? That. Like the <laughs> You know? It's just real strange. And I've done some where like beforehand everyone's just like pop 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 like talking. I'm like, oh this is gonna be a great conversation. And then it starts and then everyone's like they don't they don't do anything. So it's um mm-hmm. it's just interesting. It's a it's a 
it's a world that, um, you know, but I find that, you know, I did two in a row one time and I'm like, oh, these tire me out just as much as real events do. Oh yeah. Um, just mentally and, and, you know, all that effort that you put into it. And, um, but yeah, they're really, they're the, the lifeline right now for us. Um, especially in New York to kind of keep this whole ship going. Yeah, For sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Karen, over the, the whole conversation, it's been really fantastic to have your sort of optimistic stance and steer on things. And because there's so many, you know, so many challenges beyond the global pandemic yeah. and it's like the industry specific things, um, as well. And, and I feel like every time that there's one of those things, um, they're sort of met by a really fantastic, um, already on the Phoenix side of things, <laughs> like a really positive way that, that we can make, um, we can make a uh, good change and we can make things better for the future. And that's really amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, thanks so much for that. We have more questions, but we're going to have to end on our last question, um, <laughs> okay. that we, that we ask all the, all of our guests. And that is, um, what creative inspiration do you have for our listeners? Well, it's interesting when you asked, you, you told me about this. I was like, oh crap, I'm going to figure this out. Um, but I want to say I am obsessed with Rick Rubin, the producer, the music producer. Um, and if you haven't watched it yet, there's this great documentary on Showtime called Shangri-La. And it's about sort of his practice. And a lot of, you know, it, it's, it's comforting for me to see uh, and have a person present who's not necessarily a creator in like the artist or filmmaker sense, but he's, he's like the curator. He's like the producer. He comes at it from a different sort of creative thing. And I can relate to that. And I really enjoyed it. But anyway, he has the world's best Instagram account and I save all of his posts. I am going to say one of my favorite Rick Rubin quotes. <laughs> and it says, when we think of protecting our territory, we're actually limiting it. And so my note for that is that my moment of inspiration is that it's time for community and collaboration and um, to not to not be focused just on what you're doing versus what someone else is doing, but that we're all kind of need to do something together to move forward. And that applies in any sort of way that you want to take it, but especially in film and um, with with people on my end who are film programmers and, and distributors is not to see it so much as a competition, but as a way to lift, lift us all up. Cause we need it if we're going to have an industry in the next year. <laughs> yeah. I think it really applies to the art world too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yes. <laughs> Maybe it, more so. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for that, Karen. Like, You're and, welcome. um, you know, if people want to find out more about what you do or the different organizations that they're involved in, they can go into, do they have a website? Where should they, where should yeah. they go to? Um, they should go to futureoffilmisfemale.com. Um, we're also on Instagram, futureoffilmisfemale. Um, and then Nighthawks. Uh, website is Nighthawk Cinema, and that's N-I-T-E. Um, there's not much kicking on there right now because it's sort of like we're closed. But check <laughs> this stuff out. Um, but yeah, you can kind of see what we've what we've been up to, and then what we are up to with future film because we are going to have a busy fall. Amazing, fantastic, and we should all go there and buy t-shirts. Buy t-shirts, buy pins. They're good-looking t-shirts. I recently made stickers, and I'm like, is this still a thing? And everyone's like, I love stickers, so I'm going to put some stickers on there. <laughs> buy stickers <laughs> and t-shirts. Um, <laughs> but thank you very much, Karen. People can also go yeah, to your thank website. thank you so much. That we'll link to. Oh, yeah. Um, but thanks so much for the, for the convo. Really enjoyable. 
I really enjoyed it too. It's so nice to see you again, Cliff, and nice to meet you. Cheers. And thanks everybody else for listening in and do join us next time for more creative chat. Bye. Yeah. Bye.